everyone, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is, uh, what is today? Today is March 21st. It is the first Wednesday after the Waco Annual Charity Open, and what an event that was. Um, kudos to uh, Ryan and Joey Draper, last year's uh, TDs of the year. Uh, they put on a fantastic show once again. Uh, and as everybody knows, I'm sure Jeremy Coling walks away with the win in extra holes over Nate Perkins. And uh, on the women's side, Paige Pierce inches out Sarah Hokum in what I suspect will be one of the sport's most epic rounds of disc golf. Uh, we're going to be talking about this one for decades. Uh, those ladies put on an amazing show uh, when uh, the live, when the edited broadcast comes out. Uh, ironically, something we'll be talking about a little bit later on with show in the show with Addie Maxwell. Uh, when when that comes out on Thursday, I highly recommend putting together uh, 45 minutes of your day and sitting down and watching that round. It's it's going to be amazing. Um, and uh, my heart goes out to Sarah Holcomb, who who put everything on the line and came up a couple of inches to the right short uh, from pushing that into extra holes. So a, a great battle on the women's side. Uh, also have to call out uh, Dixon Jowers. Um, Dixon's done a great job on the Circle Zero show, opening up the, the show. Like if we go live at four, from four to 4.15 is the Circle Zero show. And Dixon Jowers, he does his, uh, his analysis of what he thinks gonna ha is going to happen, what has happened in the past. Um, he sings deep in the heart of Texas for us. That was phenomenal. If you haven't watched that yet, I think it was round one and he did a little deep in the heart of Texas song for everybody. Um, and I'll go ahead and say that uh, who I think it was the upshot actually used the uh, the same song. So a tip of the hat to Dixon Jowers for the uh, song choice. I'm glad that other people are picking up on what he's putting down. And additionally, one one really interesting thing, Dixon uh, pointed out that uh, Macbeth and Wysocki in our last week's podcast, he pointed out that they've won some ridiculous number of the last 49 A-tiers and above or something like that. And uh, in, I think 48 of the 49 A-tiers and above, they've been in the, one of them has been in first, second, or third place at every single one of them. And so those guys have been a dominant force. And it was, uh, it was really nice uh, hearing other people catching on to what Dixon is saying and realizing this. He, he has amazing insights. And uh, that Circle Zero show is, we're not firing, not firing on all cylinders, but it is definitely working and getting people interested in what is about to be, what to, what is about to happen on the live broadcast. So a tip of the hat, tip of the tuft to uh, to Dixon. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. The other thing I have to say about Dixon, um, he is doing some player interviews that are just helping me learn a lot about these players. Um, during the memorial, he interviewed Ricky Wysocki. And Ricky told the story of how he he kind of tanked his baseball so that he could his baseball college career, I believe it was, so that he could play disc golf. And he said, don't tell my dad. And it was it was a beautiful moment. Um, and uh, and he said, don't worry, my dad's not going to watch this, but I really don't want you to tell my dad. So um, that was a that was like a real genuine moment. And we saw Ricky as a as a human being that that could be really fun and down to earth. Um, and then Jeremy Colling at the Waco. If you haven't watched this yet, you have to go watch it. Uh, Jeremy Colling's interview at the Waco, where he he tells his childhood 
his childhood nickname of Lionheart, which was, uh, he gave it, I think he gave it to himself when he was five or six. And uh, it, he talks about how his, uh, his parents were uh, uber hippies and they wanted him to have a name like Lionheart so that he could grow up and have a lion heart. Um, Eric Oakley uh, thrilled us with his amazing soccer fashions and his hairdo. Um, so Dixon's doing a great job of, of letting us know more and more about these players. Um, I really liked the Madison Walker interview and what she's doing coming back from her injury as well. She came back from her injury and she's had like a little bit of a shift in the way that she views being on tour, which was which was really refreshing to hear. So <clears throat> kudos to Dixon. He's doing a phenomenal job. If you haven't watched yet, um, tune in the first 15 minutes of each broadcast, each live broadcast and watch the Circle Zero show with Dixon Jowers. He's doing a great job. Next, uh, let's talk real quick about viewership statistics. Um, concurrent viewers for Waco last year um, averaged about 1.1 thousand. It was 1.1,000 for day one, 900 for day two, and 1.3,000 for day three. And that's the hot, that's like peak level concurrent viewers. Uh, this year, uh, concurrent viewers were 2,500 for the first two days and over 3,000 for day three. 250% uh, growth, um, well beyond anywhere near what my goals would have been for that. Um, the total viewership for last year was 30,000, day one, two, and three. The total viewership already for the Waco uh, live broadcast is over 60,000, 65,000 actually. And then uh, average watch time went up by eight minutes to just under 34 minutes on average, which is six minutes shy of my goal. But uh, the first 30 minutes of the Waco event was, we, we had trouble with the, uh, with the broadcast because of the power lines, we think. And the signal was very weak under those power lines. Uh, and then additionally, we had this significant weather delay on the final round that probably cut 15 minutes off everybody's watch time. Um, although I will say, shout out to Smashbox. Those guys did a great job. We had a 30 minute delay and they were able to fill it with interesting content that kept over 65% of the people watching. Um, I think when Wimbledon has their, their notorious rain delays, they would love it if 65% of the people stayed tuned in and kudos to Smashbox. They did a great job of keep, keeping people engaged and letting them know we're going to be coming back to the action as soon as the, as soon as the course is safe. And, uh, and lo and behold, they did. And we had uh, oh, well over 2000 people watching the final, uh, the final few holes, which was, which was a, a testament to Smashbox's ability to, to keep people entertained. Um, third thing real quick, Raffle prize winners, um, day one raffle prize winner. Uh, congratulations to Roberto Clemente. Uh, I suspect that might be junior. Uh, the day two raffle prize winner uh, was actually the Disc Golf Podcast. Uh, nobody got day two raffle prize raffle right. So we randomly picked among all of the people that super chatted. So even if you don't get it right, you still have an opportunity to win. So just super chat and you could win yourself a pair of keen shoes. The third winner of the Keen Shoes uh, through the Super Chat raffle was Frank Reynolds. Congratulations, Frank. Day three Super Chat winner. In just a little bit, we're going to be going, uh, we're going to be bringing in Addie Maxwell. Uh, she wrote a piece on Ulti World probably a week and a half ago, maybe a week ago. Um, 
about women's disc golf and getting equal coverage for it. And we're going to have a, a nice com uh, conversation and, and maybe lead towards where where we can go and how we can improve women's disc golf coverage. And uh, that's that's going to be very fun because Addie wrote a piece that uh, I, I think it broke the Internet for a little while with how excited people got and uh, Opinions are a wonderful thing and conversations are an even better thing. So we're going to do the latter and give our former. Um, I'll go ahead and touch on three more, maybe two, two or three, yeah, three more pieces of information about the Pro Tour and then we'll bring Addy on. The first thing is uh, actually about women's tees. We uh, posted on our news feed uh, a review of the successes at the memorial for the 12 women's tees that we had. Um, you can go on the, uh, on the page and read the article. I won't read the whole thing to you. A couple quick highlights, though. Um, circle two in regulation on the on the 12 holes that were on 10 of the 12 holes. There were two kind of one hole was changed to two short and, and one hole was an aberration that we don't quite know yet. And, uh, and I, I, I touch on those in the article. But on 10 of the 12 holes, uh, circle two in regulation changed from just just above five percent to just below 50%. Our target is 50%. We want 50% of the field to get inside circle two or somewhere around there. It could be 40 to 60. To get inside circle two and have an opportunity at birdie. Uh, if, if less than 20% are getting inside circle two, the, the hole is probably too long. And the whether it's men or women, and the players don't realistically have a shot at birdie. So if uh, that's, that's one of those one of the statistics we can look at, and that statistic changed drastically for the better. And then uh, on the birdie percentage, which would again fall out from that, uh, basically, if fifty percent of the people have an opportunity to card the birdie, you'd expect maybe about half of those people would actually get the birdie. And at the memorial on those on those ten holes that changed, there was actually a total of one birdie. Uh, which is, I can't even see that percentage, it's so small, under 1%, and it changed to 22% on the, the 10 holes that changed. So again, a very good change uh, on those 10 holes that changed. So statistically, those holes played much better for the women's side of the game. Uh, the other article that we just put out was uh, is prospective pro tour events, and uh, those, We've announced four prospective Pro Tour events, one in uh, San Diego, one in St. Louis, one in Denver, and one just outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia. And uh, you can go, again, go to the website, check that out. And uh, there's actually a link at the bottom of it if you would like to become a prospective venue for the future for consideration. So uh, these are going to be test events. We're going to invite the touring pros to stop by those events on the way from one stop to the other. They should be geographically sensible. And then uh, depending on what the reviews are, you just might see a stop in one of those cities next year on the Pro Tour. <clears throat> and the last thing before I pull Addy in here, I'm just going to go over. I'm a stats number. I'm a numbers junkie. And um, you guys, if you're sitting there in, in the room with somebody else or in the chat, I challenge somebody right now. Who is leading the Pro Tour standings on the men's side right now? It might surprise you. Consistency is key. So, uh, in fact, in first place, carding a third at the Memorial and a fourth at Waco is Nate Sexton with 139.33 points. 
One third of a point behind him is Paul McBath, who's carded a fifth and a third. So, oh, wow. And Jeremy Colling, who carded a 15th and a first. So there's a lot of different ways to get to 139 points. Uh, fourth place is Ricky Wysocki. And rounding out the top five is Seppo Payu. So um, a, this this could shape shape up easily to be the most exciting uh Points, points race we've had yet. After two events, there's three guys within a third of a point. So it's uh, it's already shaping up to be very exciting. On the ladies' side, it is not shaping up to be quite as exciting for the first spot, but uh, second spot is indeed just as exciting. And on the ladies' side, the top four women get a buy into the semifinals. So um, the top five women, I'll name the top five women, only four of these women are going to get a buy. Uh, obviously, Paige Pierce with a first and a first is in first with 200 points. Lisa Fakus is in second. She's got a second and a third, 155 points. Sarah Hokum is 10 points behind her with a, second, a sixth and a second. Jessica Weiss, uh, 137 points, eight points behind Sarah is in fourth. And just eight points behind her is Katrina Allen. So, those five women uh, have got quite a battle on their hands. The top four get a buy into the semifinals at the Tour Championship. The top 12 qualify for the Tour Championship. So all of those women have a, a very good shot at qualifying. And, uh, and realistically, right now, they're just jockeying to see who can, get, who can get that first round buy. So that's it for my week in the news for the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and invite in uh, Addie Maxwell. Welcome, Hi. Welcome to Pro Tour Talk. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for writing such a fantastic op-ed piece in Ulti World. you got a lot of people talking. And, uh, and for that, that alone, I thank you. I think getting people to think about this stuff is very important. Yeah, it was definitely very overwhelming. I was not expecting such a big response. Um, but it definitely touched a nerve with people. And I, I guess that's a good thing. Like the point is that the the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So if I can get people to talk and um, people like you who have a really open mind to think about what more they can do for FPO and FPO coverage and growing the women's game, like that's the point. So Absolutely. So uh, the first thing I want to touch on is why you felt compelled to write the article. Um, I have my theories and I'll put them out there and then I'll let you correct them as you as you would probably want to do. Um, my theory would range around the uh, expectations level. And I know at the uh, at the Vegas event, the women's coverage came out the next day. And at the memorial, our plan was to come out with the coverage Tuesday through Thursday. And that's we, we developed this the women's window is Tuesday through Thursday after the event, and the men's window is the day after the event. So it would probably usually be Saturday through Monday. Um, my guess is that the fact that that didn't come out soon maybe maybe caused some emotional uh, unhappiness, and then but then the ball started rolling, and you started doing some investigating. I think that's part of it, but I think that it starts uh, much farther back than that. Um, so I've been playing sports my whole life. Uh, I played sports in school all the way through college and I played tennis. Um, so I always experienced both, um, 
playing sports in a way that was protected by Title IX. So there was always a, a men's and a women's or a boys and a girls option. Um, and then also playing tennis, that's a sport where it's probably the most visible and gender equitable at the same time. Um, you know, we know Serena Williams names just as well as we know Roger Federer's. Um, so I, and then after college, I played ultimate Frisbee, which is another fairly um, equitable sport. Like there was always an option for me to play and to see myself at a high level. Um, so coming to disc golf has been sort of this crazy, like wake up call of like utter confusion <laughs> of why, um, why it feels so unequal, like trying to figure that out um, and realizing that the priority for people in positions of power in disc golf is so much, their priority is so much with the MPO. And that's where they think that um, the money is just like automatically. And I don't think that that is the case. I think that if um, women's disc golf is invested into the same way that men's disc golf has been, it can be just as successful. So, um, and there's been a lot of examples of that before, you know, the, that one week where there was a lot of coverage and then there wasn't. Um, you know, I think like looking at the disc golf world tour is a great example of um, not seeing um, uh, options for professional women players. Um, so, the disc golf pro tour. I think I think you guys have done a really good job in context of disc golf as a whole. Uh, and um, I quoted your article from last October in the beginning of my article, where you were sort of promising a lot for FPO. And so I was like, yes, yes, like finally somebody gets it. And for the most part, I think that you do. Like I can tell that it's all this is coming from a really great place. Um, so it was frustrating, yes, then to see. So the PDGA um, incentivizing the next day coverage of both men's and women's lead cards, and then to go to the next week to the Disc Golf Pro Tour, where, I would, where I'd been like all on board and see it not be the same. And so that was disappointing, um, but I think it's also important to understand that uh, it's more than just that. Like, I think a lot of female athletes have experiences that have been their whole lives where they play sports and they feel great about it. And then someone kind of knocks them down just because they're a woman. And I think that understanding that that is the background of many women's frustrations in disc golf and like the visibility of women's disc golf is super important. I, uh, th there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I say, thank you very much for, for getting it out so concisely and quickly. We are on a, on a time crunch here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I think it's great that you got all of that out and I'm impressed that you did it all in, in four minutes or whatever that was. Um, the one thing I will say is you're a hundred percent right about tennis. The equality in tennis is phenomenal. Um, Serena Williams is, is one of the world superstars. Um, and you, you could probably name about it. If you follow tennis, you could probably name about an equal number of premier tennis women and premier tennis men. Um, when you get over to ultimate, it's interesting. Cause I, I played ultimate for probably about five to 10 years, uh, pretty competitively went down to, uh, nationals a couple of times with the masters team. Uh, and they had women's men's and co-ed and the, the co-ed division was was really interesting because there are teams that have very strong women and they'll go ahead and play more women than men, which is uh, which is a testament to their they're, they're using that as a strategy, which which I think is great. 
Yeah, I played on a mixed uh, team when I played Club Ultimate. And yeah, loved it. A absolutely. The the interesting thing on the on the Ultimate side for USAU, it is very even, and they care about men, women, and co-ed. When you get into the the pro side of the game with the AUDL, it's men. And I, I think the reason for that is because the men in general can throw farther, jump higher, run faster, uh, just just like they can in, in football and soccer. Um, and so realistically, I, I think you can't really have women playing in an open version of that. And hopefully Ultimate will get big enough so that we can have the women's side or, or even a co-ed side as a professional would, side of the sport. I, I would argue that um, when making Pro Ultimate, it was assumed that people would rather see men because of those reasons, which I don't think is necessarily true. I think that club ultimate has as much or more visibility than pro ultimate. And um, they show women and mixed and and men's and people care about all of them. You know? Do you know, <clears throat> and I have not done any research on this, so you can, you can slam me right now if I get this wrong, but do you know, are they, do they publish numbers for viewership on on the at the club nationals, like the club men's finals and the club women's finals and the club co-ed finals, do they are those numbers published? Um, I actually, I mean, I don't know either. <laughs> We're in the same boat. Yeah, <laughs> I think that they probably do. Um, uh, I know that USAU, the governing body of Ultimate, has it in their guidelines that um, that uh, each division has to have um, like equal coverage. So when they have contracts with ESPN, right. um, like that's a part of it. Uh, which I think is really cool, um, but I don't I don't know actual numbers. So let's <clears throat> it, the, we could we could talk about this literally for four hours straight. Okay. <laughs> but let's dive into the minutia of ultimate without getting that way. There's I don't get defensive real quick. Um, let's pretend that ESPN said to USAU, we want to club cover the club championship, but we don't want to. We just want to focus on the one that people are going to watch the most initially. If that was, if they said, we only want to focus on the women and we don't want to focus on co-ed or men, would that be okay? Um, I think that it is important to represent everyone. Um, I think that if they were saying, we, we want to cover women and not men, um, I think that there is sort of an interesting gray area there in that um, men's sports are way more prominent than women's. Um, so in a way, showing only like if they chose to only show women's ultimate, um, like even though within ultimate itself, that wouldn't be um, equal coverage of all the divisions in terms of sports as a whole, it would um, make, it, it would be a little bit more equitable in terms of like sports coverage. I don't, I mean, as an ultimate fan, I, I would like to see all the divisions played, especially as a mixed ultimate player. Like I wanna see mixed ultimate, but um, I do think that there is an interesting discussion there. Uh, I, I agree there is an interesting discussion there. And and I posed it that way, just using sort of the Star Trek model of flipping things on their head and saying, is this okay versus the other way? Because um, my guess is, and I don't know, 
But my guess is that ESPN would would probably say, for the first year, we want to cover the men only. And then in the future, if this works well, maybe we'll expand to the women. And they probably would expand to the women because USAU pushed them into it. Um, and if they said, for the first year, we want to do the men only, we want this to grow, we want it to be profitable, we're a business venture, then in the second year, we'll go ahead and cover the women, presuming we have success. Would, would that be okay? I think that um, no matter which way you, you put it, like I think that that sets a bad precedent. If you're saying, well, we're going to cover the men this year, and then maybe we'll cover the women. Um, I I think that sets a bad precedent of prioritizing, prioritizing men over women. So that's both um, you're prioritizing uh, male uh, sports fans over women sports fans because we could we could make a generalization that people are gonna like watching the players that look like them. Um, obviously, there is crossover, 100%. But um, but I think that you're prioritizing male sports friends, fans over women's. You're also prioritizing um, the male players over the female players. I think it sets a bad precedent. Um, and I don't think that that is how we should look at things. So that's a, it's a really tough wicket uh, because realistically ESPN is going to say, and, and I'm, I don't have anything against ESPN. We're just using them as an example. I, I don't know that this is even a conversation anybody's really had, but it would be pretty easy for ESPN to say, listen, it doesn't make sense for us to cover two games this year. Nobody, nobody watches ultimate yet. We need to start slow. And if you're telling us that we have to cover both the men and the women, then we're just not going to start. And it, it's a, it's a pretty easy, it, for me, it seems like a pretty easy business decision from ESPN's point of view to say, we're, we're just not going to bother starting this. And then no ultimate gets covered. That, that seems like what would be the, 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 the outcome from the, that mandate that you have to cover men and women equally. Well, ESPN um, is showing, if we're using Ultimate as the example, ESPN is showing Ultimate games um, and they are doing it with the pressure of USAU asking that they um, are equitable in how they show the division. So they like will switch off who gets the um, live final on air like every year. So this year it was the mixed division. Um, had they shown the men's final live, uh, it was a blowout. Had they shown the women's final, final live, that was a blowout. Neither of those were interesting games. Because of the pressure of USAU, that year they showed, this year they showed the mixed final and it was the most exciting game of ultimate that has like ever happened. <laughs> and so, you know, there are exciting stories and exciting competitions happening in more than just men's sports. Uh, and those are stories that deserve to be shown. Like we're, by not showing as much women's sports and in this case, giving not giving as much visibility to women's disc golf, um, there's all of this potential for exciting stuff that people will want to see that, you know, that isn't happening. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity. 
So you you make you make a fantastic argument. Um, I, I have one quick question on this. Did the did ESPN know that the women's and men's games were blowouts, or did that just is that no. just they got no, this was all like planned ahead. Um, so it was you know it was luck that this was the year that it was the mixed mixed game in the finals, but like mixed uh, is usually considered to be kind of um, the lesser of the three divisions. Um, and, but so I think without pressure, it probably wouldn't be shown as much. Um, and, but because of the pressure of ASAU to like have it be equitable, this final was shown and it was incredibly exciting. It was like double game point or something like that. So (laughs) I, uh, I, I can never, I, I gotta say that's a, that's a fantastic story. I'm really happy that not only, and I'll agree with you, I, I've played, I haven't played women's, but I've played men's ultimate and co-ed ultimate. Um, and co-ed is definitely sort of viewed as the redheaded stepchild of ultimate. But uh, it's awesome that that game got seen and that that game was not a blowout. I think uh, I, you roll the dice and sometimes you, you get lucky. And I think that's a, that turned out to be a really great thing that happened. It's funny because you said this was all decided well in advance. And I was like, wait a minute, they knew there were going to be blowouts. And then I realized that's that's not what you were talking about. No, it was just the schedule. <laughs> they already planned the schedule. <laughs> um, it'd be great if they like planned the blowouts. So, uh, we have just a couple minutes left. And, um, and I'll go ahead and just say I'm really happy that you got this discussion going. Um, we at the Pro Tour are, are clearly dedicated to growing the women's side of the game. Uh, you're absolutely right. We wrote we wrote the article at the beginning of the year that said we want to put out women's teas. We want women's hospitality and conveniences. We want to spread out the pros. So we encourage women to step up so they can play with the top pros in the world. We're going to reduce entry fees. Um, we're going to increase and improve the video coverage. Uh, and I, I'll go ahead and say, in my opinion, I think we're doing all of those things. Um, and the last and most important one is the increased and improved video coverage. Um, we did not do next day air coverage, and uh, as as you as you and I were talking about before before the uh, the broadcast, there's some debate about whether or not the women going off whether the women's coverage going off next day air or a few days later where it can breathe on its own. Which of those gives the women more views? There's <laughs> There's debate between us, at least, on which of those works. Yeah. So uh, that um, we, we've chosen this path for this year, and I will be very happy to review that for next year and and make a and a more educated decision. Um, and but I will say that this year we have uh, Terry Miller, a, a professional, is doing the editing and putting it into the live broadcast. So the live broadcast presentation of the women is much better than last year when when I just did it to sort of prove that it was a a concept that can happen. And then additionally, last year, we didn't put out any edited coverage except for those those little snippets that I did. And this year, we're putting out the edited coverage. It comes out, just so everybody knows out there, Tuesday to Thursday after the event, we'll be broadcasting the women's edited shot-by-shot coverage with commentary and when we can with commentary from uh, a, a female either competitor or a leader in the sport. So um, that's 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 the goal. That's what we're doing this year. 
And, uh, and I'm, actually, I'm actually relatively happy with all of those things that are going on. Oh, I, I actually forgot the sixth thing, which is inclusion, inclusion on the, we have a huge scoreboard. And last year we didn't utilize it for the women. And this year we are. And when the women come around hole 18 and they see that board filled in, uh, it, it's just one extra thing that shows, listen, we care. We want the women's side of the game to grow. So Addie, I'll, I'll leave the last words to you. And, uh, and if you would like to put out there any ideas for, um, but you know what it all comes down to? It all comes down to money, really. So if you'd like to put out any ideas on how we could raise some money to get extra exposure on the women's side of the game, I will, I'll leave that to you and I'll, I'll let you uh, to say goodbye and your last thoughts. Okay. Um, well, I do wanna say that I do recognize the, um, and really appreciate and respect um, all of the work that you are doing on the Disc Golf Pro Tour to have better experiences for um, the female players and also the fans of the, the women's game. Um, I do think that the, you know, the main attraction is the, the rounds and not everyone can be there to see it live, um, in person. I'm one of those people. And that really is my perspective is that I am an amateur player and a fan of the FPO division. Um, and I, the improvements are great and wonderful, but I do think it's still fair to critique and, um, because if I and other people aren't constantly pushing for um, equal coverage, equal visibility in the sport, it's never going to happen. So I appreciate you and I appreciate you talking with me and I appreciate like how we can move this forward together. Um, I, from uh, reading about some of the, the feedback of my article, I thought a really great idea that was brought up was that more women need to be involved in disc golf media. Um, so that can be both, uh, women taking it up on their own, you know, I'm going to start a video, uh, uh, channel, uh, where I'm going to film women's rounds or like, I'm going to write for LT world or like, you know, all these different things, or I'm going to start my blog. Um, I also think that members of disc golf media should recognize that they, um, are not. Uh, they're missing out by not having the perspectives of women in their companies um, and should seek out uh, women uh, to add voices. And so I think the the commentary um, that Jomez and like disc golf guy footage has had recently where they've had um, women commenting. I actually was just listening to or watching the disc golf guy um, footage today from Waco and he had the ladies of the chain women um on and that was great so i think more of that um and that will make a change if women continue to be vocal <laughs> thank addy thank you very very much for joining us um and thank you for for putting your opinion out there and for weathering the storm and for continuing to point out that equality is always the best option um we will have to disagree a little bit, I think, because I, I feel that there's a business proposition that has to be met first. And once that business proposition is met and the, the pro tour itself is sustainable and profitable, which will hopefully will break even this year. And then next year will be sustainable and profitable. Um, once that happens, then we will be able to take more and more resources as we grow and apply them equally to both divisions. 
Um, but your, your opinion is genuinely heard, genuinely appreciated, and you are, as you say, a squeaky wheel. <laughs> yes, give me oil. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Addie. Have a great night. You too. Good night. So that was Addie Maxwell, of uh, a writer for Ulti World and a follower of the FPO division, and uh, someone who in my opinion, did a great job of putting her voice out there and came on and presented the argument very well. Um, in, in many ways, I agree with her. Uh, all things being I, an ideal, it, it's definitely equality is definitely the right way to go with, with everything that we do. So um, I look forward to getting to the point where we can present the women where financially, where we can present the women on an equal footing. And maybe we can have live coverage of the men and live coverage of the women uh, going on concurrently on two separate disc golf channels. That's a, that'd be a pretty exciting place to be. And you'd have to be in the sports bar watching both screens. And, uh, and I guess at that point we'd have the, the junior divisions would be the edited footage in between. So uh, with that, uh, thank you to Addie. And we have two more special guests tonight. Um, we have with us uh, Nate Perkins, who uh, who was on the lead card at Idlewild, and then uh, later on in his career was on the lead card at the Waco just this past weekend, and ended up pushing Jeremy Colling, pushing Paul McBeth out of the way, and pushing Jeremy Colling all the way to a playoff. So we're going to talk with Nate, and then we're going to bring in. Uh, a, a friend of Nate's, Alyssa. We could bring them both in together at the same time, actually. And, uh, and we'll talk to them, talk to Nate a little bit about the tournament. And then really, I want to know who these two people are. So with that, uh, Nate and Alyssa, hello there. It's great to see you both. Hi. <laughs> hey, Steve. Good to see you. Thanks for uh, So Nate, uh, I'm going to start with you, and I'm just going to say very well, sh very nicely shot this past weekend. Uh, I predicted you going into the third round. I predicted that you would you would come out ahead. And <laughs> we got just so you know, I'm in the library. All right. You have five minutes left, so don't forget to get your IDs from the reference desk upstairs. All right. Oh, wow. The library will be closing in 20 minutes at 9 o'clock. I, I think he just said this room closes in five minutes, which is which is great. This is going to be the most efficient podcast in history. So, but Nate, uh, can you walk us through the woods part of that course, where you were mentally when Paul McBeth looked like he was going to run away with it, and how you stayed in the game and just kept pushing until the point where you were found yourself in the lead on the final hole. Sure. Uh, well, I, I never really felt like anyone was running away with much of anything. Um, I know that Paul missed a couple holes early on. Um, and I got one of those holes. I never was really counting the scores. Um, <clears throat> Normally, I do kind of know where I'm at in my head, but when you get in those moments, uh, lead card, final round kind of moments, you kind of let all of that go, um, and you're just, you know, you're competing with those four competitors, and and um, 
and with yourself and with the course and less so of like, Hey, what am I going to shoot? What's my round rating going to be? Like, how much will this move me up? You know, how much money am I going to make? Like all those things kind of like fall away and it's just, you know, it's just you and the course. So I wasn't really worried about what Paul Macbeth was doing. I mean, I am still a fan of the game and I do like to watch. So it was nice to watch some of his shots but I wasn't really worried about, okay, he just got five birdies in a row. I'm, I'm in trouble kind of thing. Well, that's fantastic. Um, I did hear Jeremy Colling saying that you have been pushing yourself to become a champion of the sport. Uh, last year, James Conrad pushed Jeremy all the way to the, the, uh, the fine, to the extra holes as you did this year. Later on in the season, James Conrad got, got went on to get his first pro tour victory. Um, how does that feel for you being I, and actually you brought it up to me uh, last year or two years ago, I think at the silver cup, potentially I, I dissed you. Yeah. <laughs> you. You tied Ricky Waisaki in the first day and I put your name second and you went up to the board and switched those, those places. You said, no, I earned that top spot because I got the hot round and round. I got the hot score in round two. And, uh, and you were right to do that. I make a lot of mistakes, so it's easy for you to be right in that case. But how does it feel for me to eat crow and say, Nate Perkins is one of our elite players? Wow. Um, to, to even be considered alongside those players is, is, uh, is an honor, and it's very humbling. Um, I, it wasn't very long ago that I was going to watch these players for the very first time. Um, I've been in love with the game ever since I was a since I was young. My dad was taking me to go play disc golf and it wasn't until college that I really learned that it was a organized professional sport and that there were serious athletes involved. So I went, you know, in 2013 to watch the Texas State Disc Golf Championship and uh watched Rick and Simon and uh Paul play in the wind and you know, five years later, I'm um, I'm beating some of those names, and um, and I feel like we're all just a, a a big family as well. So really, it's it's uh, it's it's truly amazing. These are special days, indeed, for the sport in general, um, where the players are still accessible. We're starting to make some money, and uh, and you guys can actually make a little bit of a living. Um, Living in cars is a way to live. I mean, some of us have nice vans, some of us have cars, and and some of us have RVs. But uh, it's it's a really fun time in the sport because of the family aspect of it. And I'm going to use that as a segue. Uh, sitting next to you is Alyssa Van Lannen, the uh, Pro Tour photographer, and uh, and I think co-pilot in your van. So the question that I have for you two, hi Alyssa. <laughs> the question that I have for you two is. How did you two meet? Why are you on the road together? What is going on? I'm wow. surprised you haven't heard the story yet. Honestly. I can't believe you haven't heard the story, Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm very good at playing dumb, but, <laughs> but in fact, I haven't heard the story. Well, do you want to start or do you? Um, well, actually, you kind of made reference to it because um, the first time we met was the day that he changed, he changed the leaderboard and put himself on top. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, go back a little bit farther though. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I graduated high school or I'm sorry, I graduated the University of Texas at Austin. I graduated college and I left for tour um, with my friend Greg Barsby. I competed at Beaver State, Maple Hill and one small event in Ohio, the Red, White and Boom. And um, I miscashed at all three events and I was ready to go home. I was ready to go get a go, go get a big boy job. And um, I dropped uh, Greg and Nico off at the this tournament in Wisconsin called the Silver Cup. Just on your way back to Texas. Yeah, just dropping them off and going to head back to Texas. And um, Greg uh, paid my entry fee to her dad, Jim Van Lannen, the day before the tournament. I end up playing in the tournament, um, shooting a decent first round and a hot second round and found myself tied for the lead at the Mm -hmm. Pro Tour tournament that I wasn't even planning on playing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, Alyssa is the daughter of uh, the Silver Cup tournament director, Jim. and And really, I got my first camera bought for me to take photos of his event. That's why I even like doing this, right? Wow. So, so um, amongst the woods of Rolling Ridge, I see this. I see this beautiful girl holding a camera around her neck, um, taking photos, and I was immediately, immediately enamored with this girl. <laughs> and um, when the round was over, um, she came up to talk to me uh, right outside of the. He the was Rolling standing Ridge by tent. himself, looking awkward, and looked like he needed someone to talk to. Him. So that's <laughs> that's my side of the story. <laughs> But I did come up and talk to him. That that part is true. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So what do you mean the rest is history? What, what did that first conversation sound like? Um, actually, I don't even know. Well, do you know um, what the first thing you said to me was? Well, I'm on cloud nine. You know, I just played on the lead card for my first time in front of the cameras, in front of the crowd and everything. And and I'm talking to this beautiful girl. So uh, there's I've got nothing to worry about in the world. And... To be honest, um, I was coming on pretty strong. I was, <laughs> I was really, really into her, and um, I was, uh, I was trying to buy myself some time for later for under the fireworks kind of thing. Um, buying me spotted cows from New Glarus in Wisconsin. Yeah, buying her some beers with and, the money he didn't have. So yep. I don't know where that came from. Yep, you Just, find it when you need it. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, I ended up staying in Wisconsin for another week to hang out with her and, you know, left to go play a few more events. And and every week in between tournaments, he just kept showing up back in Wisconsin. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't matter where the tournament was. <laughs> broke down. He still somehow made it back to Wisconsin. So actually, uh, I won a relatively big beat here the week after I met Alyssa. Um, and all it took was just a little inspiration from her and mm-hmm. her believing in me and telling me that uh, that I could fulfill this dream that I had and um, that I didn't need to give up and go get a job that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. So it was really meeting her and um, just her, you know, the energy and the, the love and the life that she has flowing through her that um, has brought me all of this uh, confidence and uh, ambition, really. That is an absolutely phenomenal story. I'm very glad I asked, and, <laughs> and I'm very glad you guys shared it. And uh, Nate, congratulations on landing yourself a beautiful woman and <laughs> on, the, on landing yourself the start to what we all hope is a fantastic career. Um, Nate, do you want to tell me one funny story about Alyssa that you have learned over the last couple of years? 
Well, um, there's lots of really good ones because this girl wakes up in the morning with, um, I don't even know how she gets the energy, but she wakes <laughs> up ready to go. And she's telling me all kinds of stories about the countries she's visited, the places she's been, the people that she's met along the way, her childhood stories. There's so many great ones. Um, one that really sticks to really sticks in my head is um, the story with uh, with Steady Ed. So her dad um, built a course in Wisconsin, um, Silver Creek Park, and um, he got Steady Ed Hedrick to come out and cut the ribbon for the course. Oh. And uh, so they became pretty good friends. And I believe Alyssa was 10, 10 or 11 years yeah, old at the time. about that. He was That's she was about young. 10 or 11 years old and uh, Steady Ed stayed at their family's um, hotel and restaurant mm -hmm. right on the waters of Lake Michigan. And uh, her and Steady played a little game of uh, mini disc golf in the halls of her yeah, hotel. Along with my, <laughs> yeah. We'd play with goals of certain certain hotels, hotel rooms. That you'd shoot. I, I envy you that memory. <laughs> so I'm I'm in her really good I'm in her house uh you know a few days after the silver cup and I pick up a mini and it's got a handwritten message from Steady Ed to her <laughs> on it and I'm like who who is this girl? Alyssa, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to reciprocate? I'm not sure I have any good disc golf ones. No, it doesn't have to be disc golf. Just something ridiculous that Nate's done that nobody else knows about. Um. Yeah. So. One of my so if you know him pretty well, he's a very good writer and very creative and a great storyteller and can really tell anyone anything about anything, right? So his mom told me once this story about I think you were in fourth grade when he wrote this essay. Everyone had to write an essay for their Texas state testing. I don't know exactly what it's called, you know, their standardized testing. And he wrote a beautiful essay about his favorite uncle and the last time that they went fishing. And if you know him, he's a big fisherman, one of his favorite activities. And he wrote a, this tearjerker of an essay about the last time that they went fishing. Okay. And a couple weeks later, his teacher came up to him just bawling and said, we need to submit this for something. We need, we need more people to read this essay. It's beautiful. And they sent it into a national competition. And fast forward a couple of weeks later, and he won the entire competition. Wow. Yeah. So he really is a beautiful, beautiful writer. So that piece was published? So was it published? <laughs> I don't, I, it, I, it's probably somewhere in an archive somewhere. So he had to go to Houston but and talk all about it's it. Not, it's not over. And guess what? His uncle Bob. <laughs> he's in Austin right now. We just saw him last weekend. <laughs> the entire story up. <laughs> because everyone, his whole school knows about this essay now nationally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just absolutely made up off the top of his head about Uncle Bob, the fisherman. I apologize for ruining the audio on that, but that was beautiful. Oh my God. Well done, Nate. Yeah. Thank so you. congrats, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. It's, it's pretty awkward really to stand up in front of a bunch of teachers and tell about it. And your fake dead uncle. Yeah. 
<laughs> Fictional Uncle Bob. Yeah. Oh, wait, but is the uncle real? Him off. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a musician. Okay. Okay. Just, okay. We just hung out with him a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I met him. Uncle Bob, it was a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much for sharing some time with me. Those were great stories. And Nate, I can't wait to see you in Jonesboro. You too, Alyssa. And uh, here's to a great season and a great many seasons to come. So we add in a little special feature now after the podcast has been recorded. We go through, pick out the questions that we want to review in the comments. And we'll start with this. Can you alternate men's and women's pro cards? So you have the top FPO card tee off right before the top MPO card. Uh, Leo, that is a, a fantastic idea. We actually attempted doing that at the... Um, at the Vibram Open back in 2012-2013. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have enough live cameras nor the ability to record the live video and jump between cards and have it be cohesive. In the future, I would anticipate this will be a feature that is available uh, through our live streaming software, but right now it's not an option, so it's, it's either or. One thing we did find, when we put the women right before the men, the women had to deal with the crowds, and the crowds were all facing, well, the, not all, the vast majority of the crowds were facing the men. So it actually made the women, the lead women's card um, a less desirable experience for the women. Uh, probably about four or five years ago, we switched to having the women go off early at the Vibram Open, the goal being to finish that round and then 15 to 20 minutes later start the men's round, encouraging people to come out and have a full day of watching. The response from the women after seeing those two experiences in back-to-back -back years was overwhelming. Let's keep doing the women early so that they can have their audience and, um, and not be in the way and not, uh, I should say, so that they can have their audience and not experience all the negative impacts of the crowd that was watching the lead MPO card. So, uh, next question. Maybe for the final rounds, you send out the top two cards for FPO and MPO alternating them. One film crew assigned to each of the top cards. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. I just picked all these out, and those are two, basically the exact same question. Um, although this one points out, have a different film crew on each. We have limited resources, and what we're actually asking our film crews to do is double duty. Uh, Terry Miller, uh, Rick Corshane, uh, Chad... Those and my brother even, uh, those guys film both the women in the morning and the men in the afternoon. So unless we hired two more film guys, which the budget doesn't allow, uh, we really can't do that, can't have them go out at the same time. Uh, NorCal says, I personally don't like the spliced coverage during the live MPO. Uh, I appreciate the feedback and... I would love to hear what you would like to see instead of the spliced-in women's coverage. The options are uh, more ads. We could try to do some uh, a commentator in a, in a booth uh, with some statistics. Uh, I don't want to go back to the uh, shaky camera walking down the fairway. So I'm open to adjustments. Uh, I need to know what, what kind of things people would like to see. 
I have a feeling at this point that if we took the women's coverage out of the live coverage, there would be quite a few people wondering why we're going the wrong direction on women's coverage. So for the time being, we're going to keep that the way it is. Why can't we toggle live coverage back and forth? Same answer as before. This is actually a software limitation as well as a um, cameraman limit, number of cameramen limitation. Uh, we only have enough money to pay enough cameramen to be uh, to have basically two, a maximum of three if one is hardwired in at the clubhouse or something like that. So two, maybe one stationary camera making three cameras that we can toggle between. If you add a, another camera on, for example, MPO2 or even FPO1 if they're playing at the same time, then what that does is it makes it so you you could jump between the cards, but we the software limits it so that we can't uh, pause one card and say, okay, they're going to tee off. As soon as these guys are done putting out, we'll go, jump to the other card. They would just have to happen to be playing at the exact opposite times, which nine times out of ten is not what actually happens in the broadcast. And, and one of the cameras is basically a, a loss. So uh, software limitations and money are the reason for that. Keep the great questions coming. I love answering these questions, and I think going forward, I'm just going to do the question and answer session after the fact so that I have time to read the questions, pick out the, uh, the, the, the most appropriate questions, and then answer them as the last section in the podcast. So thank you all for watching. Have a great night, and uh, I'll give it back to myself to close out the show. And with that, I'm Steve Dodge, Pro Tour Talk for March 21st is complete. Thank you all very much for watching or for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with more tales from the tour.